Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming into my home in McKinney, Texas and joining us here on another beautiful Sunday morning. We're getting close to Christmas and praise be to God. Here we are again, all coming together and fellowshipping in the Lord and taking the Lord's Supper today. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord's put us here and established us and given me the wisdom and ability to do what He gives me to do every week. I'm so grateful, and uh, I consider it a privilege to be able to learn His Word every week and teach it to everyone that listens to me. I want to welcome everybody in my home, and I want to also welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud or wherever you're coming from. God bless you. Welcome. Gospel Saving Church. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 this week, verses 1 through 11. But first, my thoughts from last week's message, their cry for help made him stand still. I have to say, I have to start off just thinking about last week's message and say this one very powerful statement. Isn't the love of God amazing? The compassion that Jesus Christ shows us in his act toward these two blind guys should melt the hearts of the hardest, or should melt the hardest of hearts in all the earth. Because their cry for help actually made the Savior, Jesus Christ, stand still. Wow. Years ago, I heard a pastor say this one statement. And in all my years as a Christian, this is one of the most powerful statements I've ever heard anybody say, ever. And he said this. He said the most powerful prayer that you or he or anyone could ever pray ever was Jesus Christ help me or God Almighty please help me. I am sure after reading what we read last week that recorded incidents like what we read are you know at least what partly inspired him to say that because if you think about what they said they said, Son of David, which is Jesus Christ. You know, Son of David was his messi- was a messianic title, like I talked about last week. Son of David, have mercy on us. You could say in our modern words what he said, or what they said. Jesus Christ, save us. Jesus Christ, please help us. And what was the result? Again, he stood still. He called them to himself, and he helped them. And any prayer that can make God stand still has to be a mighty and powerful one at that. So you ask yourself, what was so powerful about this prayer or about this request that these guys made and about a prayer that we can pray now? What is so powerful about this prayer? Jesus Christ, help me. Well, when you call out to God and Christ and you ask them for help, you are showing the most important thing that you could show God, humility. Humility is opposite of pride, you see. Pride comes before destruction, Proverbs 16.8. You see, if you ask for His help, Jesus Christ Help me, God Almighty, help me, my Heavenly Father, God in Heaven, help me. You are admitting that you can't do it by yourself. 
You can't handle the situation on your own because you're asking him, God, Jesus, help me. You see, pride says, the opposite of humility, pride says, I got this all by myself. I don't need help from anyone, even or especially God. You know, I've got it. You know, I can, I can do this. I'm strong. I'm smart. I'm, I'm whatever. That's pride. Humility says when you get into whatever situation you're in and you can't handle it, and, and you, even though you think you can, but you really can't, pride, humility says, I need help. And then when you cry out, God, Jesus, help me, he hears. I myself. Over my 14 years, after especially after I heard this, have cried that prayer, Jesus Christ help me, more times than I can count. And you know what? Every single solitary time, God has helped me in a, in, in a way I could not see, or He's just helped me get through it. He's helped me unconditionally in, in an amazing way. Now, has it always just been just a one-time Oh, God, help me, and, you know, that's it, I'm done? Oh, absolutely not. Sometimes I had to cry out, Jesus, help me off and on for a week, for a month, for six months. But I knew that God could help me because his word says that he helps people. And every time, whether it was one time that I prayed for help, or a half hour, or for a week, or for a month, he always came through. And he's always helped me. God is love. And if you show him you need him and his help, he wants to show you he's there for you. Because he wants you to see his love tangibly so you will desire to be with him. So always remember this. I hope these words to you are as powerful as they were to me umpteen years ago when I heard them from this pastor I hope these words are as powerful to you as they were to me. No matter what kind of terrible situation you find yourself in, no matter how desperate, no matter how in despair, no matter how lightly bad or just life-crushing, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can always cry out. Oh, wait. Let me say it this way. God longs for you to cry out. Jesus Christ, please help me. And your prayer can cause God to stand still, listen to you, and help you, just like he did in that scripture we read last week where he helped these two poor beggar blind guys. Remember, his compassion for you is beyond anything you can comprehend. He longs to help people, but he wants to be asked. No different than we would long to be asked by our children if they need help and we see them struggling and they just want to do it on their own. We long to be asked, help me. So just always remember that, please. All right, praise God. On to this week's message. Our new title, we got a new title Again, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. The title this week, Hosanna to the Son of David. Or Hosanna or praise to 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah, son of David. So if you want to read with me, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, and then after that, we'll get into our scripture. The Bible says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpaga at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All right. So we close last week's message, last week's scripture, with Jesus healing these two blind guys and what? They decided to follow him, Matthew 20, verse 34. They began to follow him and his disciples and the multitude that was around Jesus as they were walking unto Jerusalem. This week, verse 1 just told us that their travels have now put them near Jerusalem in a city by the name of Bethpaga. And if I'm saying it wrong, forgive me, I'm not a Jewish speaker, I don't speak Hebrew, but I, I say it Bethpaga or Bethpage or however you want to say it. Geographically, so that you kind of have an idea where they were at, geographically or location-wise, Bethpage or Bethpaga is on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It's actually still a city there in Israel to this very day. So they're in this city. How close were they to Jerusalem? Because this is the triumphal, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. This is the story and recording of that. How close were they to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives? Location-wise, geographically-wise, the Mount of Olives is about a Sabbath-day journey from Jerusalem, Acts 1.12. Or... If you do the math, which I did in the calculations, it was a little over a half mile. So this city that they come to on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives was about a half mile from Jerusalem. So Jesus is pretty close to Jerusalem. He's pretty close to fulfilling his destiny for mankind, going to the cross, you know, being betrayed, going to the cross, dying, and then being rose again. He's very, 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 very close. So they come to Bethpaga on the Mount of Olives and End of verse 1 and verse 2 tells us, let's read it again, it says that uh, Jesus sent two disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. So in, in essence, he says, Go into this village that you see across from you here, and bring these animals to me here. Interesting fact about this scripture. There's two interesting facts about this little section of scripture that we have here. 
We do not ever know the names of these two disciples. Very interesting, because often, you know, the Bible would say, oh, Jesus would send James and John, or, or Peter and James, or, or so on and so forth, or Judas Iscariot would say, or, or the other Judas would say. But here we just have two disciples. He sends two disciples. We don't know their names. Another interesting fact. You will not find... Every, okay, so if you read one gospel, let's say you read over Matthew, and you read over Mark, and you read over Luke, and you read over you know, John, you will find very few accounts in, from one gospel to the next. Here, this account, or the details of it with the, 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 the cult and so on and so forth, is found in all four gospels. And, and they're very, very, very close in similarity to what each one says. Okay, so they're in all four Gospels. It'd be Matthew 21, we're right here, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. All recorded details surrounding the triumphal entry of Christ along with the cult and young donkey are very similar. Now, each account does have some differences. In Matthew 21, we read that Jesus sends his two disciples to go get a donkey and a colt. Okay. Mark 11 just has two disciples going to get the colt. That's all Mark thought was important to record, was that these two disciples went and got this one colt, because that's what he wrote in on, was the colt. Luke 19 has the same, two disciples and just one colt. And in John 12, actually a little bit different, we have Jesus finding a young donkey, which he did. He went to this city and he knew there was a donkey there, so he found the donkey, but it, it leaves out the fact that he sends two disciples to go get the donkey. Now, there's no, uh, there's no contradiction here, because just because the different disciples decided to mention different details of the account, the, in essence, the account is still the same. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a cult, fulfilling the Messianic prophecy, declaring himself to be the Jewish Messiah. So, no, no contradiction. So, if you read this one, oh, you know, you, you can search this one on the web, and people might go, oh, see, the Bible, you can't trust it. Look at all these contradictions. Oh, we just have, you know, this, we have this, and we have this. No, the, the idea of him riding into Jerusalem on a cult was all right there, you know, fulfilling the Messianic prophecy, the end. So don't let those people lie to you or get you off track, and it's nothing to be scared about. So Jesus sends these two disciples on a mission to get these two animals and bring them to himself, but there's a problem. Well, Bethpaga was not his hometown, was not his home city. Remember, Nazareth was. Although he was born in Bethlehem, he grew up in Nazareth. So because this is not his hometown, these animals didn't belong to anyone he would have known personally, and they weren't for sure his own. Which means, that think about it, you being the owner of these animals, right? I don't think these owners, neither would I, would like just some two strangers coming in and getting my animals. So what does Jesus do? Because that makes sense. Jesus gives them some instruction on what to do if questioned by the owners of the animals. Read verse 3. He says to them, And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So he gives them this, you know, hey, if this happens, by the way, this is what you say. So skip down to verse 6 real quick. We'll go back up to 4 and 5. Verse 6 says, So the disciples went, did as Jesus commanded. So they go, they fulfill their mission, and they're done with it, right? Not quite. 
Matthew leaves out one of the main details of this scripture. He leaves it out, but Luke, in the parallel passage, tells us in his account of this passage that the owners of these animals were actually there. And they did say, hey, why are you taking our animals? And they said what Jesus said to say, and then the owner sent them. Was this theft? I thought about that as I was studying for this message. Was this theft, technically? You know, I thought about that. I mean, they just came and took the animals, you know, and the owners, you know, were, were even though they were right there, they just came and got them. Well, no, it wasn't theft because guess what? The owners were there, and then the owners did say something about it, and they said, hey, the Lord has needed them, and so they just went ahead and sent them. So they did give their acknowledgement, their approval of them taking these animals. But why now? You got, we got to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus even need a young donkey or a colt anyway at this point? I told you we'd go back, verse 4 and 5. Matthew writes to us, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, what he was doing here, why he needed this colt even to begin with, he was fulfilling the prophecy that was written concerning the Messiah in the prophet's book of, called Zechariah. Matthew is quoting the prophet Zechariah who lived about or around a little over 500 years before Christ came. The prophecy is actually Zechariah 9.9. I'm going to read it. The Bible declares... God tells Zechariah this great prophecy of the coming Messiah to come, something that the Messiah would have to do. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's the prophecy that Christ was fulfilling by his sending his disciples, getting this animal, and then riding on it, into Jerusalem. So Jesus needed to fulfill this prophecy that, prophecy that God spoke through Zechariah about how the Christ or Messiah was to come to Jerusalem or to the Jews to Jerusalem again over 500 years before Christ came. Now, for Jesus to actually have been the true Messiah, he had to fulfill all prophecies that God spoke for the Messiah to fulfill. This was just one of them. Did Jesus fulfill others from the Old Testament Jewish scripture? Yes, he did. Jesus of the Messiah, excuse me, let's take the word and they name Jesus out of there. Let's just go back to the ancient Hebrew scriptures. What did they tell us? They tell us that the Messiah was going to do mighty supernatural healings and works. He was going to heal the blind. He was going to heal the lame. He was going to raise the dead. It said that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born of the family of David. He was going to go to Egypt as a young child. He was going to put to he was going to be put to death for the sins of uh, for the sins of others by the Gentiles, and that he was going to die by crucifixion. And all this was foretold. And all these things Christ did, plus more. And actually, he's still going to fulfill some prophecy when he comes back for his second coming. But at this point here, he was on this earth living and fulfilling and had fulfilled all these prophecies showing the people then and us now that would read now that he was the Savior. 
that he was God's sent Savior, God's messenger, to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Here again, Matthew's showing us that Christ, Jesus, is fulfilling this one, the one by Zechariah, by getting this colt and riding it into Jerusalem. So what do we see Jesus doing here? You see, a lot of the other prophecies were fulfilled just by Christ being born. Like, obviously, Christ himself, as a baby, wasn't able to be controlling where he was born, but God would. Okay, Christ, as he walked around, he just healed people, and then it was recorded. Here is one of the very few prophecies that we find where Jesus actually went out of his way to fulfill this one. He was actually in purposeful control of this one. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to purposely go get this colt, have my guys go get this colt and bring him, and then I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on this one. We see that Jesus powerfully proclaims himself to be Messiah or God's son by this prophecy that he willfully does. Now, I've heard it said before, I actually was just reading this not too long ago, that somebody actually wrote that Jesus himself never used the words in like this, I am the Messiah of God. Now, true, he did not use those exact words, but he did reference himself in those ways. And here we see that here that he purposefully gets this young cult to fulfill the prophecy that Zechariah said the Jewish Messiah needed to fulfill when he came. And to me, actions speak louder, way louder than any words could. So, the Muslims can sit there and say, oh, well, Jesus never you know, said he was this, and oh, you know, this and that. And he never said, I am the Savior of the world. Yes, not with those exact words, but with this action, he says to the whole world and to us, go get this colt, I'm going to write on him, look to the prophecy. The prophecy says, God's going to write in the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel is going to ride into Israel, going to ride into Jerusalem, and I'm doing this. Okay? If Jesus wasn't the real Messiah, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. But we can see by the many prophecies that I just spoke about that he fulfilled, that he did fulfill, that he is, along with this one that he purposefully fulfills, that he really was the real deal, that he really was the Messiah, that he really was the Son of God, that he really was the Savior of all the world. So, Zacharias, or Zechariah says to the Jewish Messiah, or says of the Jewish Messiah or King, that he would come riding on a colt. That's the prophecy. Look at the actions of those with him. I want you to notice the actions of those that are with him. Did their actions point us to the fact that he was Jew, the Jewish Messiah or King and that Zechariah 9, 9 spoke about. So look at their actions in verses 6 and 7 and see what you see here. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey, the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. Notice they did what he said. They obeyed him, number one. Notice They brought this cult to him. They laid their clothes on him. And then they set him on this cult. Now, 
if this wasn't royal treatment, I don't know what would be. Any man, normal man, can get on an animal all by himself. Nobody needs to set a person on an animal if they're just a normal person. Okay, nobody lays their clothes on an animal. Now, this would have been a bareback animal. Didn't have a saddle, just a, a bareback donkey, a bareback colt. They, they, by laying their clothes on this animal and then lifting him on this animal, shows us that they were thinking royalty here. This is our king. This is him. So their actions point to him beating royalty. They absolutely point directly to, hey, we're treating him like royalty. What about the actions of the multitudes around Jesus? Did their actions point to Jesus being royalty? Look at verses 8 and 9. And a very great multitude, look what they did. They spread their clothes on the road. Wow. They spread their clothes on the road. That would mean that the animal would be walking on those clothes. Animals go to the bathroom when they're walking. They laid their personal garments, which weren't like today, where you go down to Gap or go down to JCPenney or Walmart and buy some new clothes. They had to make their clothes. They spread their clothes on the road to, to put underneath this person. This just regular person? Not really? And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. So again, praise, save us to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the Christ to the son of David, again, to that messianic title, son of David, to the Messiah, to our king. Their actions don't just say royalty. Their actions, in their words, scream royalty from the housetops. This is our king, and we're going to praise him, and we're going to worship him. We're gonna, our clothes are coming off our backs. We're taking branches off of trees. We're waving them at him. You don't, you don't wave at a servant. You, 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 you wave these branches at a king, at a great mighty monarch that's going to pass by. Their actions and their words scream royalty. In fact... This very thing this multitude was crying out in verse 9 was derived from Psalm 118, 25 through 26. Verse 9 again, Hosanna to the Son of David. This was Psalm 118, and it was a prayer to God Almighty, the mighty King of earth. Here's Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Listen, if you don't hear any similarities here. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Now the words save now are the English words to Hosanna. Hosanna is the Jewish word. Save now, that's the English. So they say to him, to Jesus, Hosanna, or save now, I pray, O Lord. And and they say to God here in Psalm 118, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So what were they doing here with their words in verse 9? What were these multitude doing? 
They were praising Jesus with a psalm that was meant for God Almighty. Wow. So again, their actions and their words scream out. This is our Messiah. This is our King. And we're acknowledging him that as that right now. Does not the way that they treated Jesus here and the way that they say to him and not scream out royalty and Messiah and God in the flesh, they absolutely do. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. What about the Jewish leaders that were standing there? Did they see the actions of the multitudes as praise to Jesus, the Messiah? Or did they see the actions as just some people gathering together and, you know, oh, hi, hey, that's, yeah, that's a guy named Jesus. Well, you may ask yourself, well, Pastor Ed, I didn't see any religious leaders here. Well, you're right, you didn't see him here. Luke 19, 39 through 40, he talks about there being some religious leaders there that were watching all this happen in his parallel account, Luke 19, 39 to 40, Luke says. And some of the Pharisees came to him from the crowd and they said, teacher. Notice they didn't say Messiah because you know, they didn't give Christ the respect that God had given them, the respect from the people. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Or in other words, you better tell them to stop giving you praise because that's blasphemy. You would only rebuke someone if they absolutely did something that was ungodly. They tell them, rebuke your disciples for saying what they're saying about you. Because you know what? That we don't believe that you are who you are. They're blaspheming right now. You stop them. So even the religious leaders recognized the multitudes were praising him as this Messiah or king. But Jesus tells them in verse 40, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So you don't accept me as Messiah, but I am. So even if these multitude were to stop praising me, creation itself would cry out because even creation knows that I am the Son of God, that I am the Messiah. I can't even stop creation. It has to be right now that they are going to declare who I am. So wow, what a scene this must have been, huh? Exciting, amazing, exhilarating would be the words that I would use. Matthew uses some different words in verse 10. He actually records what this scene looked like in Jerusalem at the time. Look at verse 10 with me. And he and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So think about this. Everything that's going on and people are praising him and people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the Messiah. It's tremendous. Matthew says that the whole city was moved. The whole city was moved. Think about that. Think of now cities weren't as large then as they are today, but think of their city almost like a big, huge neighborhood. You know, with, with maybe thousands of people in it or, or, or tens of thousands of people in it. Well, the whole city of Jerusalem was moved by what was going on and what they were saying about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David. The whole city was moved with excitement. But 
verse 10 tells us they had no idea what they were even getting excited for. They were just excited, but they didn't know. How do we know? Verse 10, the end, they say, who is this? So they're excited. The disciples are yelling. All these people have laid their clothes down. Jesus is coming in on this colt. The whole city is in uproar. The whole people in the city, they're like, who is what are we even shouting for? What are we even excited for? I don't know. Who, who is this? Who is this man? They're going, what, what's going on? So the multitudes around them tell them in verse 11. So the multitudes say to these people in the city, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, wait a minute. What did we just read? i got to read that again. So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They just called him a prophet of Nazareth from, from Galilee. What? They were just singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. They, Praise be to our Messiah. Why did they not tell the people of Jerusalem? Hey, this is Messiah. This is the King. What's going on? They were just praising Him with Psalm 118.25, declaring Him the Son of David or the Jewish Messiah. What's happening here? What do we see here? We see an absolute amazement in Scripture. And we're gonna, we'll are gonna we roll into something else with this here. Amazingly, we can clearly see here that at least the majority of the multitudes that were following Him praising him, laying their clothes down on the road, singing out, shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David, didn't even know what they were doing when they were praising Jesus with their words and their actions, but that they were doing it anyway. What does this mean? What does it mean? I mean, were they confused? What what does this mean? Why were they doing this? You see here, We're talking about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David, the only begotten Son of God for for that matter. I mean, he was, this is the King. And this is his one special time that he's fulfilling this prophecy, coming into Jerusalem, sitting on the back of this colt, The one in the prophecy that God prophesied 500 plus years before Christ came into this world. Well, here's what we see. We see that God was not going to let this event happen without the utmost honor to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, 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 the great King of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ, the Son of God the Son of Man, the Son of David. Period. The end. These people honored Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah without even knowing what they were doing, which means that they did it, you could say, which is what I see, without choice or without free will. They just did it because God made it happen because His Son, Jesus the Christ, deserved this type of adoration. Jesus deserves all of our praise. Jesus deserves all of our adoration. 
whether or not you want to or not, he is the only one that deserves your adoration and your praise. This is not the only time that mankind will give honor and worship to Christ without a choice. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 shows us that kind of in the end, you could say judgment day, you could say the end of the world, you could say the end of your life. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has also highly exalted him, speaking of Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Well, where's under the earth? That's hell. Or in the grave, those under the earth. And that, it, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day at the end of the world, whether you love Jesus Christ or whether you don't love Jesus Christ, Every one of your knees in mind to boot will bow to him. And every one of every single creature, person's tongue on ever lived on the face of the planet will profess him and confess him as Lord. So that every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Whether you love him or whether you hate him, you will be proclaiming him and you will bow to him. Those that love him will desire to bow their knees and confess. And those who don't love him and don't desire to bow and confess him will have to do so no matter what and without choice because why because jesus christ is lord over all he will always be so no matter who approves of it or who disapproves of it whether you believe it or whether you don't your knee will bow and your tongue will confess jesus christ the lord Overall, the same as we see in this scripture here. These people were just doing this. They, they, out of their own mouths, they said, Hey, man, this is the prophet from Nazareth. Yet out of what they were, God commanded them to do, just to show him glory, they proclaimed him the Jewish, Jewish Messiah without even really knowing what they were doing. So, is Jesus Christ the real Messiah? Do we see it in Scripture? I have many other sermons talking about the same thing. Absolutely. Jewish Scripture, not, not touched by Christians, shows us all of this. You can go to the ancient Tanakh, which is the Jewish Scriptures, which is untouched by Christianity, untouched by the modern world. It's just the Jewish Tanakh. It's their Jewish holy book. Speaks of all these prophecies I spoke about today. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every single solitary one of them. Hands down. Is he the Messiah? Is he the son of David? Is he the Christ? Absolutely. Hands down, not even a debate. The scriptures tell us so. The fact that Jesus Christ was the real Messiah is not the question today. The bigger question today is, is Jesus the son of David, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, is he your Savior? Is he your Messiah. Have you chosen to bow your knee to him now 
and confess him as Lord and actually live for him now while you're alive or not. One day we will. Whether you love him or whether you reject him, you will. But do you do it now because you want to show him your love back? Do you give Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Messiah, praise, honor, and glory today or not? He is the only one worthy enough for you to give your life to. No one has ever or will ever love you the way he did and still does even to this day. If you're listening to this message today and you're not right with Christ, he's not the one you've given your life to. He's not Messiah to you. He's not your prince. He's not your king. You maybe have never said, Hosanna to the son of David. Lord Jesus, I love you. Please, I need you. I want you. Please save me. I need you. I want you to be my savior. Maybe you've never said those words. Maybe you've never meant them. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Well, please know that he only traveled to Jerusalem and made this triumphal entry, went into his demise of a brutal death on a cross because he had you and you and all of us on his mind. He had our redemption and salvation on his mind. As human beings, I've noticed things since I've been alive. As human beings, we are motivated by evil such as greed, wealth, power, authority, and our evil, selfish desires. That's what motivates us. We get excited and we get motivated because we get some. We go and make that money or we go, oh, we're going to get that thing that we've been wanting. That's, that's what motivates us. We go to work because it motivates us to make money. So we're motivated by all these evil desires of greed, wealth, power, authority, and every other evil, selfish desire. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was motivated to go to the cross because of his love for you and you and you and me and his good desires to have fellowship with us and save us and redeem us from hell and condemnation making us the motivating factor of why he unselfishly did what he did. Wow. I don't think I'm worth it. I don't think anybody on the planet has ever been worth it. But yet, you and me are what motivate him to go to that cross. So the only begotten son of the living God was thinking of you as he allowed himself to be betrayed and murdered. What do I mean by allowed? What do I mean he allowed himself? I mean, didn't they come and take him forcefully and drag him off to, you know, to, you know from Gethsemane and, and put him on a cross? And he didn't. Absolutely not. The Bible tells us that he had the power to come down from that cross any moment of any day, period. Nothing kept him there that man did that forced him to be there. What kept him there was he had you and me on his mind. 
why he didn't just, he transcended on the Mount of, on, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were looking at him, and all of a sudden he transcended, he became like a ghost. This invisible type of, you know, creation. He, he, he showed up in his glorified body when Peter, James, and John were watching. On the cross, he could have easily said, nope, I'm done with this, whoop, and transcended once more, became this ghostly type of spiritual body, come down and opened his mouth and destroyed every single person that was standing before him, that was shouting at him, that was mocking him. But yet he didn't. He stayed on the cross until all his blood gushed out of his side and he breathed his last breath saying, it is finished. I have done all that I could do. I have finished what God told me to do to save humanity. I love them and I want to save them. I've paid the price. And so what kept him there was you and me. Now, I don't know anybody that loves me that much to suffer six brutal hours on a horrible torture device called a cross, to bleed practically to death, to be shot at or shouted at, spit on, mocked, and to take it all because of us. So he just loves us that much and we were why he stayed there so i encourage you please if you haven't given your life to him yet give him your life give him your heart give him your mind give him your soul today and decide to live a life of praise to him as the son of david for he loves you so much And suffered greatly just to purchase you back from the sin that you were born in. Will you surrender your life today? Or will you keep going your own way? Let's pray. And I'm going to pray that you do surrender today. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you so much for what you're still doing doing for us today, Lord. I know that you gave me this message, Lord God, because there's somebody out there, Lord, that needs to take this step. Lord, I, I just know right now that there's somebody listening that has to take this step, Lord. And Lord, you're calling out to them. You're calling out to them through me, saying, my son, my child, please come to me. I love you. Look at what I did for you. One day, because I am God, everybody will bow to me and everybody will confess me. But my son, I don't want that for people. I want people to confess me as Lord and and bow down to me now because they love me and come into fellowship with me now because then it's too late. So Lord, I, I pray right now that whoever's out there listening that hasn't stepped up and surrendered to you, would do so today. That today would be the day of their salvation. That they would not harden their hearts anymore. You paid a high price to pay for us. You paid a high price to save us from hell. You saved. You paid a high price to save us from God's wrath. I pray right now, Lord God, that everybody, anybody that's out there listening to this message, that hears these words, would today, right now, drop to their knees, surrender to you, and give you their lives, and decide to live for you 
because you are the Son of David. You are the Son of God. You are the only begotten one of the Father, full of grace and truth. The one only, the only one that's worthy to give our lives to. Thank you so much, Lord God. Please, God, draw them to you. Continue to draw them to you. I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.